so how do like because you've interviewed a lot of people i know your your channel <laughs> hmm. so how does this thing usually uh go about it it just goes uh there's no uh i do not direct the conversation i uh okay. i listen and uh and then something in me asks a question and <laughs> I try to phrase it correctly, and I usually fail at that, but I take my shots, you know. Um, All right. What would you like um, to cover? Well, uh, given that you've already interviewed quite a lot of detransitioners, especially, um, I, of course, I want to talk about my story, like why I transitioned, why I detransitioned, but um, I think it's... I don't think that's going to be the most interesting part because my story is not necessarily that different from other detransitioned men. I think what's going to be the most interesting is more the hospital that I went to and the treatment that I got there that I went to um, was the one who, it was the Amsterdam clinic and it's the one who um, first introduced um, the so-called affirmative model and where it was developed, which was then later copied in other countries across the world. Um, and I've been hearing from other people that, um, especially in the US and in the UK and, you know, countries where they copied this, this model, they have the idea that um, here <laughs> in the Netherlands, we... Um, kind of that they the way they work and the way that they treat their patients is very uh careful and very um uh, rigorous like they, and sound and exactly humane. But, yeah yeah but um that's not really what they're doing okay <laughs> at least that's not my experience okay well let's let's get to that but let's contextualize it with your story i don't yeah. think that um these stories uh, are always totally the same. And I think no, every, no. everybody's story uh, sheds a new and, and uh, you know, a broader light on gender dysphoria and then yeah. the medicalization process of it. Yeah, of course. Um, so um, I honestly don't know where to start because it's a lot. But <laughs> <laughs> um, well, there's different terminology that uh, my audience is pretty familiar with it, but we can just start with yeah. the age of when you began to uh, you know, express that you were a woman, you wanted to be a woman, like when did that set in and what were some of the, yeah. uh, you know, the cultural backdrop of that? Okay, so I uh, was born a boy, so I'm biologically male, and I wanted to be a girl for... Uh, as early as I can remember. Um, so, um, but it was never, when I was like a little toddler, I was always odd. Like I was never like other boys and I was always kind of the weird one out um, because I was very um, like sensitive and I was interested in playing with dolls and wearing dresses and having long hair and all that stuff. And my parents, they were quite, um, they didn't really care that much about it. They let me do that. Um, but they didn't think that there would be anything with that. They didn't think like, oh, 
he must be trans because back then it wasn't um people didn't know that much about it and especially given that i was in a very small village in the countryside uh back in the day when internet was was still in like its infancy in like the late 90s early 2000s so um it, it wasn't really something that we heard a lot about people thought i was gay my parents they thought i was gay and i am so <laughs> that's not they were wrong about that um but i obviously was bullied for it because other boys they didn't uh, do that and it was kind of considered weird and especially in the village where i grew up my parents didn't care that much about it but there were people who thought it was weird and who um uh you know so i was bullied by other kids my age but also like adults would be weird around me they would um um like not want their children to to play with me because they thought that I was weird and there was something wrong with me. Um, so eventually, I mean, I, I wouldn't say I was necessarily an unhappy child because I was unhappy at school, but when I was home, I was usually, things were fine. Um, but I hated going to school. So eventually my parents, they sent me to... Um, uh, um, therapist when I was very young and she didn't I went there I'm not sure exactly how long I went there um, but, uh, I think like, like you're six seven ten twelve yeah I think I was around six seven okay um, and she like the therapist she didn't diagnose me with anything she said like yeah there is nothing like wrong or there's nothing like with him but she did say that i was very intelligent that i was like a gifted child mm -hmm. um and that i was more sensitive than normal boys so uh and that i was lonely because i didn't have a lot of friends because i was bullied but like nothing out of the usual you know that's kind of those mm -hmm. things are quite common you know there's a lot of children that have to deal with that so after that, my parents sent me to another school because they in like another city um, because they um, were hoping that things would go better there. And they did eventually um, or like in the beginning, it went better. So uh, I and that period, I don't recall being unhappy at all. I still wanted to wear dresses and dress up as a girl, but at the new school, that was not that weird because it was more of um. It it wasn't like um, it it was a bit a bit of a weird school, like an on, like a arts uh, school or. Uh, yeah, I'm not exactly sure. It was they were following like a different philosophy. Oh. Um, I'm not sure exactly how to say it in English, but. Um, You'd say it in uh, Dutch, or yeah. So we call it the Freie School. It was um, they are basically following the philosophy of this one German guy who basically made up like guidelines how to like do uh, teach children and how elementary schools should function. So it was kind of not a regular school. It was more of a bit of a weird school, and they focused a lot on. Um, more of the creative side of, of children and like um, trying to have children develop into the things they're interested in and, and kind of letting them more free into doing what they want rather than 
telling them this and this you have to to learn i guess and the school was more this was very progressive and very like open and very left usually most parents there so it was better accepted there hmm. but then eventually my parents divorced um and after that the divorce was very messy <laughs> oh yeah yeah How old were you when that initiated or when you became aware of it um pre pre uh, puberty or during pu puberty it was around that time i i also noticed that puberty was starting but i hit it very early i think i was around nine or ten. Oh, really okay yeah it uh, was. do you mind getting a tiny bit biological like hair growth spurt? yeah uh i i noticed like <laughs> sexually i started getting interest and also like i started getting um pubic hair i think that was the first physical change i was getting and wow, at nine yeah i think 10 um i think i must have been 10 so it, it was very early yeah and just and, for context cultural context uh how aware were you of sexual development by this time because i know that uh, your land is a little bit more, uh, or was a little bit more open than ours about just the biological facts of that process. Um, they came as a shock, a mystery, or did you kind of know the words and I, yeah, I, I know, I knew that this was like part of getting older, but it still freaked me out. I still didn't like it. <laughs> I knew it was, it was, um, it just meant I was going through puberty. I was getting older, but, but, especially because it started so early in me i it, it freaked me out i was like i didn't want this you know um but it was i i guess i had kind of mixed feelings about it because i at one one side of me was kind of looking forward to getting older and like growing up and the other side was kind of freaked out because i i it was more like this future um idea that i was getting like um more masculine like i was getting a becoming a man i guess uh i was kind of looking forward to that but at the same time i felt like i was getting different from my peers and i already felt very different from my peers so that kind of freaked me out uh, so it was very mixed i suppose okay um and at that and same time your family begins to get disrupted yeah so my parents they divorced and initially i wasn't i mean i didn't like it but initially i wasn't that upset about it which sounds kind of weird maybe <laughs> but because they said that they were like separating um in a good way like they didn't hate each other they weren't fighting they just didn't love each other anymore but they could still like be friends and things were still fine between them so i i was like okay i didn't like it but it, it wasn't that of a disaster but then um when they actually did divorce then i then they did start like fighting and it did become very messy so eventually it did become uh very bad and i started like my mental health started getting really bad especially as soon as i went into high school um because also around the same time i was bullied i started being bullied again um and i'm not sure why because in my previous elementary school it was very much because i was like feminine 
oh, like effeminate and I like wearing dresses and all that. But I, I didn't really do that at this point in time anymore. I was just more like a, I had long hair, but other than that, I wasn't necessarily feminine or anything. Um, so I guess the reason why I got was to that, read that bullying physical or psychological? Did it come from the boys or the girls or both? Um, boys. It was always mostly boys. Okay. Um, and it was uh, mostly psychological, but sometimes physical. Okay. Um, but um, where was I? So I guess the reason why I started being bullied around this time was because I was just an easy target because I was like mentally not doing well because of my family and I didn't have a lot of friends. So I guess I was just an easy target and that's why they picked me out. But not that I was bullied because I was gay or because I was feminine or anything. Um, and then later when I went into high school, I was kind of like, uh, I was very tall at this point because I hit puberty very early. I was very tall and I had like a rather deep voice for my age more than other of my peers had. So I kind of wanted to be like this really kind of masculine boy and like kind of really, um, how do you say that, like really strong, I guess, because I didn't want to be bullied again. So I was kind of putting up this um, role that I was like very big and masculine and whatever so because i thought that that would like prevent me from being bullied again <laughs> and also because i really tried to not show anyone that i was interested in guys because that freaked me out as well um because it was um i still lived in like my my father still lived in this old village and there it was not really something that was um accepted very well so i heard these things a lot that people thought it was a bad thing um and it was um i'm not sure if it still is but back then at least in the area where i grew up being gay was like i guess the same as in english being gay was used as like an insult as like a kind of a slur so i i heard that a lot so i kind of gathered that being gay was something that was bad so i tried to hide it as much as i could um so um but still i at this point in time i wasn't um very feminine like i i had this feminine side that i very much suppressed because i wanted to be like perceived as very masculine but it's not that I didn't like being, you know, quote unquote masculine, whatever that is, but um, but I didn't really have the, I didn't feel like I was a girl and I didn't feel like I uh, wanted to wear dresses or whatever. I, I um, always kind of had this feeling and I'm not sure how to explain this, um, but I... I guess I felt like I would have rather been a girl, but I am not, so I'm a guy. So that's just what I have to stick with, I suppose. But I always, if I had, if I could choose, I knew that I would have rather been a girl, but um, I didn't want to be like a feminine man, I guess. Um, so I guess that's why my parents were very surprised when I came out as, as trans, because they didn't thought that because i wasn't like growing up i wasn't um hadn't been like stereotypically feminine ever since uh yeah. i was like a little child 
And did you, uh, was there any um, interaction with a psychotherapist during your teen years? Or uh, No, I, other than this um, children's therapist that I went to, that I talked about earlier, I never went to a therapist. Um, so, um, which I mean, thinking back, I probably, sh I definitely should have, but I kind of, um, I don't know, I didn't want to or anything, even though things were, you know, as the more I got into puberty and the older I got into high school, the worse things got with me. I got like very depressed, but that had a lot to do with uh, me, um, again, being like very lonely in high school and bullied again, because uh, it's like the tactic of like trying to be masculine, not to get bullied. It worked for the first two years, but after that, not really. Um, hmm. with, with that bullying, did you learn to stand up for yourself, to fight back, to project dominance, to bully yourself? Did you, did you figure out tactics of how to keep the bullying at bay or the bullies well, to outsmart um, them or something? Well, in the beginning, I, I guess I kind of did that, but eventually because at home things just like with the divorce with my parents still going on and I also have an older sister and things with her also got really bad. And, um, and so I had this, uh, group of friends like at home, things were really bad. And at school, I didn't like things either. Cause I couldn't really get along with other guys. I still was kind of, um, didn't really have a lot of friends, but I had this one friend group of, um, mostly guys and some girls that, um, that I got very close with, but when I was 14 or something, they kind of like went away. Um, two of them moved to one moved to another country and one moved to like another city. So another school and the other one, he just, um, I guess we just grew apart. So he just stopped hanging out with me. And I guess now looking back, it was very clear that that was what we just grew apart because he had very different interest than I did and but at the time it was really upsetting me because I felt like I had been abandoned by everyone because at home things were like really bad and now I had this friend group that also like all of them kind of left um so after that I really started to uh, oh yeah and one of them, <laughs> one of these uh guys um I also had like a crush on which also really freaked me out because I did not want to be attracted to other guys, but I couldn't really fight that, hmm. uh, even though I tried. Um, so when he left and when the other friends of mine left, I just kind of um, got it, things got really downhill from there. And my mental health just got really bad. And I guess I just kind of gave up on everything. Um, so that's when I got bullied again because I was like this very easy target once again hmm. um because i didn't really stand up for myself i just um i guess what i tried to do a lot was i tried to please people a lot and i did that at home i did that with because i i was figure i don't know i just had this feeling that um no one liked me and that there must be something wrong with me for that. So I kind of tried to please everyone in, in an attempt to have them to like me, I guess. So 
I didn't really stand up for myself ever. <laughs> and did you have any hobbies or sports or other things to um, do with yourself? Or did you get really involved in reading and just go internal withdrawal? I, I did um, martial arts for a while. And I did like that. Um, and I had like uh, also a friend group from there, but I wasn't like necessarily that close with them other than like from that sport. Um, I didn't see them outside of that really. Um, but other than that, I, I didn't, I kind of started isolating a lot. Um, and I started being um, in my room a lot because that's the only place where I felt like I was safe, I guess. So I was spending a lot of time on the internet and I was gaming a lot and I was having friends on the internet. Like most of my social life was, was online at that time. Um, and so, what, uh, what era or what kind of uh, games just for context? It was, um, yeah, it was mostly like, uh, strategic strategy games or historical games, okay. um, things like that. Um, cause I'm, yeah, I've always been very interested in history. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, um, but like at that time, especially because I, I got further into puberty, I started disliking my body a lot, but never, and I still had this feeling like I'd rather be a girl. And I kind of started fantasizing about being a girl, not necessarily in like, um, like a sexual way. Cause I wasn't attracted to women. Uh, it was more like I was depressed and I, I was having this kind of fantasy of me living as a woman. And I thought that if I was a girl, I things would be easier for me. Like life would have been better if I were a girl, because then I would have fit in. I guess, and, and I wouldn't be so weird. Hmm. Um, yeah. <laughs> A lot of weird women out there. <laughs> yeah, 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 I know. But I, I felt like the reason why people thought I was weird was because I was sensitive and, like, into hmm. a bit of girly things. And I was, um, at this time, I was, like, really trying to suppress this. And also my attraction to other guys, I was really suppressing that. And obviously that's not a healthy thing to do. So I was just thinking if I was born a girl, I wouldn't have to do that and it would just be easier. Hmm. Um, yeah. um, but I never really thought about being trans or wanting to, well, I, whenever I heard about trans people, I always thought like, oh, I, I kind of want to do that too, but I never really considered it. I never like thought about it longer than maybe a few minutes or something. And then I would just forget about it and continue with my life. But then at this one point, I was 16 at this point and I was just, it was just getting worse and worse. Um, the longer it took, the longer I was in high school, um, the worse my mental health got, I suppose. Um, and I started having eating disorders as well. And, um, just very depressed and I really hated myself and I hated my body. I just thought I was super, ugly and gross and I didn't want to look at myself but not because it was masculine I just didn't like what it looked like I suppose hmm. um, and then when I was 16 I started looking for um, 
I had this phase when I started looking for answers as to like what it was wrong with me because I was convinced there was something wrong with me, that I wasn't normal. So I started looking for answers, why that is, why I was so unhappy. And I started looking on the internet for things. Um, and I remember the first thing I came across was post-traumatic stress disorder. <laughs> but when I, when I read that, I was like, yeah, but I never had anything happen to me that was traumatic, so it can't be that. So I never like took that seriously, even though in hindsight, that was probably what was actually going on, but I didn't take that seriously. Um, and then I came across, I think it was bipolar disorder. And then I thought like, oh, this is it. I'm bipolar. And then after a few weeks, it kind of like faded away and I started looking for something else. Hmm. And then it was like autism, um, borderline, yeah, borderline, um, like all these, I never went to a therapist, but I just started self-diagnosing with these, these things, but none of them, um, sticked for longer than a few weeks so i would just after a while it just faded away and i would look for something else until eventually i came across um i was watching tv and i there was this document well not a documentary there was this late night show where they were having a trans boy so born as a girl transitioning to a boy who was a few years younger than me i think at the time he was like 12 or 13 and i was 16. um and he was telling a story and I was like, oh, this sounds so similar to me. And then I started looking that up on the internet. And then I was like, okay, well, this must be it then. Because I had so many things in common. I hated my body. I always had the idea that I should have been a girl or I thought that my life would be easier if I was a girl. I liked wearing dresses when I was a young kid. I wanted long hair, you know, all these things. I ticked all these boxes, so I was like, well, mm -hmm. this sounds so similar, so this must be it. Um, and the, the, well, very interesting thing about it was that I had so much trouble accepting my sexuality, accepting that I was a gay guy, and I tried to fight it for so long, but I didn't have that with, with being trans. When I was trans, I, I had, it was much easier for me to accept that, and I'm not sure why that was. Hmm. But... Whereas I always tried to hide being attracted to other guys when I realized I was, well, realized in um, like citation marks. <laughs> uh, I told my parents within, I don't know, three months maybe. So pretty quickly. Um, and I guess a very big part of why I, I wanted to tell them so quickly was because I, as soon as I kind of realized that I was trans, I was looking for other trans people on the internet. And they told me that um, I was still very young, so I needed to start hormones as soon as possible because otherwise I would regret it. So that's why I wanted to transition as soon as possible. So I came out to my parents very soon. Um, and they referred me to... I mean, <laughs> I first told my mother, because my father, I didn't have a good relationship with him. Because um, during the divorce, he was very... Um, I, yeah, I just really could not get along with him very well. We, we still, we are very different. And I, I get along with him now, but at the time it was really bad. Mm. But um, I told my mother, she was the first person I told. And 
my mother was completely surprised. <laughs> she didn't she didn't uh, expect this at all. I remember when I told her I I she came home from work and I was telling her like I want I need to tell you something and I could just see at her face she was kind of expecting something. I guess she expected me to say that I was gay because mm. she had known that for, for like ever since I was a toddler. Um, but then I told her I was trans and she did not see that coming. She was like, oh, okay. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's not what she was expecting. Um, and um, she also didn't believe it. She didn't believe that I was um, trans. And she told me a lot of times and she always kind of tried to question me, like, why can't you just be like a feminine man or aren't you just gay? Uh, and, you know, she was kind of trying to be critical. But whenever she she did that to me, I just got angry. And because I told her she doesn't take me seriously and I felt that she was, um, mm. yeah, like, like she was not believing me. And that was very frustrating to me. So obviously she didn't really know what to do with this. And this was also at the time, this was in 2000. 2014-2015, I think early 2015. Uh, so this was at the beginning of this whole explosion of, of gender, mm. um, you know, when, when it was everywhere in the media and yeah. uh, before this whole explosion of referrals to the gender clinic in, in the Netherlands, but also in, in the Tavistock in London. Mm -hmm. um, so at the time, we didn't really hear much uh, about it. It was still very much at the beginning. So she like Googled um, where, like who would be, uh, who could help us with this, who could help me with this. Uh, and she read about the gender clinic in Amsterdam. Um, and um, she, th she saw that they also had like a therap uh, like therapist, like a psychological department. So she figured that that's where I had to go because they were the professionals. At least they told, they were telling people that they were the professionals. So if anyone should know what to do with this, it would be them, right? Um, so she referred me to them. Um, and that's when I started my process with them. And um it was very weird <laughs> just the whole process because um and i have to think because it's kind of a while back but um i think you don't like they give you a diagnosis you need a diagnosis in order to be to transition to have like medication um but they gave that diagnosis to me within five appointments five appointments throughout the two months maybe um and one of these appointments my mother was also there and my mother was telling them uh that she didn't believe me and she had worries and she was worried that it might have been because of my bad relationship with my father because of the divorce because i was bullied because of my sexuality and you know in hindsight <laughs> we know she was right all along. She was right about all this, but they never took her seriously. They never listened to her. They always, um, they dismissed her um, 
I remember after that um, appointment with uh, her, they uh, had an appointment with me alone. And they asked me how I felt about that because I was also there with the appointments. It was an appointment with me, my mother and the therapist. So it was, they didn't speak to my mother alone. It was all three of us. Um, so when she was saying those things, I was sitting next to her. So obviously I heard it and I didn't like it. Hmm. So the next appointment, when I was on my own, they asked them, they asked me how I felt about hearing that. And obviously I told them I didn't like it. And I felt like she didn't take me seriously, but that's nothing weird for a teenager of 16 to say, you know, um, but, um, so your, uh, your take looking back was that these specialists were always operating with the trans assumption. Yeah. Were they critical? I, Did they try to challenge you at all? Or were they kind of just giving you the way forward, kind of leading you um, towards their conclusion? I, I don't think they necessarily pushed me. Well, later in the in the process they tried to they pushed me but not at this stage okay because um, they basically how it works in our um like in the gender clinics here uh you have the diagnostic phase and after the diagnostic phase there is the this phase where they basically um uh, prepare you for starting medication and for transition for the transition itself so it's more uh, but during that phase, they don't do the diagnosis anymore. It's just more focused on preparing to actually transition. Okay. Um, but the diagnostic phase, in my case, it was five appointments throughout the period of two months. So it was really not a big deal. <laughs> um, but um, they didn't... So at this point, they didn't necessarily try to push me, but I do have the feeling that they, uh, you know, this thing called differential diagnosis. Uh, um, yeah, but I can't remember it right now. Off the top <laughs> <of my head. laughs> um, so it's something that also in my studies we do is they do it in forensics, they do it in medical, um, uh, uh, how do you say it? medical treatments, medical diagnosis, but also in psychology, it's basically you, you look at the um, symptoms and based on the symptoms that you find, you try to, to pick the, the diagnosis that, that is most likely to be causing these symptoms, yeah. um, which is a very, you know, standardly used way of trying to find the right diagnosis, obviously. But I don't feel like they did that. I feel like they just opened the book, like the DSM or something, and they just went straight to gender. I, um, I think back at the time it was already called gender dysphoria. Yeah. Uh, and they just look at the the um, symptoms and they kind of look, use these this list of symptoms as some sort of checklist. Um, Instead of having and, a number of different diagno possible diagnoses that they can compete. With each yes, other. exactly. It's just it's so, kind of just one. Okay, yeah. Exactly. And whenever they encounter symptoms that are not on the list, they just ignore them. They just like they say like, okay, well that's something secondary or it's something unrelated. Um, and when you when you um, match like the majority of or, or like a, a few of these um, 
symptoms and it's like okay you have gender dysphoria congratulations even though there is a huge overlap with gender dysphoria and other um like conditions or other diagnoses um they just don't look at this overlap they they just they don't hmm. um and, and then is this clinic just on its own this dutch clinic is it just one part of a bigger organization or is it that kind of just isolated um to your knowledge I, does it well, have to report it, to anybody does it work in concert with other people other i guess endocrinologists and surgeons but those are only used to you know treat gender so i just wonder yeah i i think they're mostly on their own uh, there are other uh, gender clinics in the country as well, but very, very few. I think there is one in Amsterdam, there's one in Groningen. I believe there used to be one in another city as well. I'm not sure which one though, but it, it closed. Maybe, I know nowadays there is more, but back when I was transitioning, those were the only two, Groningen and, and Amsterdam. Um, and Amsterdam was the biggest one and also the most prestigious one because they came up with this um, affirmation model. Um, so I think they were mostly operating on their own, but to be quite honest, I'm not entirely sure. Hmm. Um, but did they refer you to any doctors that would give you a differential diagnosis or no. any non-gender affirming doctors? No. All right. Um, well, when they, um, when I eventually started hormones, they did, um, refer me to a, another therapist uh, outside of the gender clinic in my home hometown uh, because they thought that I was having some problems that were unrelated to uh, gender dysphoria. Um, okay. So, yeah, so at one hand, they, they let me start medication and like all this stuff, but at the same time, they wanted me to continue with another therapist because they thought I had unrelated uh, issues. Um, but I, I while your body's being flooded with a hormone that it didn't produce, they're like, Oh, there's exactly. these other things that aren't related to this drug. We've just put them on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Um, so, but at this point I was already 18. Um, okay. So you so, started going there when you were 16 and after mm -hmm. a few months, they diagnosed you positively. And then a couple years later, you started to so i went there when i got referred when i was 16 and i had my first intake because the waiting lists were i mean nowadays they're ridiculously long but at that time they were a few months already which compared to now is very short but um so by the time i had my intake i was i had just just turned 17. i think it was only a week after my birthday or something but um and then after two months, I had the diagnosis, and then I was referred to the to another therapist, the one for the for the the, the like the preparation for the actual transition, which I think was six months. And then the the um, trajectory or like the treatment that I underwent with her before starting hormones was uh, I think about a year and then I was allowed to start hormones as well and this was especially the most um, like mind baffling process that I went through because there were so many red flags that she just ignored 
Okay. Like um, back then, and I think in the meantime they have kind of gotten rid of this criteria. But at the time, in order to start um, hormones, you have to you had to have lived uh, through this what they call the real life phase. So you had to um, have lived as like the desired gender for at least like I think at that time it was half a year or something. Like at least a couple of months, but I never did that. Um, so it is mandatory, but they just kind of do not stick to their own protocol. <laughs> okay, so how did your your view of what you were going to do, that is transition, develop or change over this time? Did you begin to select a name and think about the different kinds of styles? Did you start to construct a female persona? Or feminine persona, um, and did they yeah. help you do that? No, um, they were more like um, just. And I guess they were giving me like uh, obviously like the informed consent principle was like an important uh, part of it. So they were telling me what I could expect and possible risks and possible complications, but they downplayed a lot of them. Um, hmm. I think the only risk that they really warned me for was um, bone density, uh, but everything else that I they they I don't think they ever mentioned it. Um, okay. But we'll get to that later. <laughs> um, but yeah, I was uh, in my mind. I was kind of building up this feminine persona, but it was completely unrealistic. Um, and they never, I mean, it was kind of, I was having this ideal picture that I wanted to become, but it was completely unrealistic. I was never going to become this. And we actually talked about this quite a lot because passing for me, uh, like being passable for me was very, very important. Um, and we talked about that, um, but they never, or at least I cannot remember them ever kind of asking me like you know passing is very important for you but what are you going to do if that is not if you don't succeed in that they you know which is kind of an important question because i think if they had asked me that i would i would have said something because that's what i was thinking at the time if i wouldn't be able to pass then the whole thing would have would just i wouldn't want to do it because that was like my ultimate goal if i wasn't able to pass then i wouldn't even want to do it or like wouldn't even try Okay. Because I wanted to be a woman, yeah. not like uh, a man in a dress, I guess. <laughs> yeah. But so you had a sister. So did you imagine that you'd be kind of like her? I mean, she's basically a very close genetic female to you. So, um, Or did you I, envision some sort of Barbie-esque kind of <laughs> female? No, I, I think... I wanted to be more like uh, my mother. Um, I think that's not not exactly, but I think more like my mother than my sister, because my sister at the time also didn't see that much, because hmm. she lived with my father. Um, so uh, just to kind of ground this, like stately, gracious, like what kind of terms would describe your mother that you would want to embody? I guess elegant and just like, um, yeah, elegant, gracious, um, but also like 
be <laughs> this sounds so shallow when I say it now, but it is very shallow, but I just wanted to be good looking. It was very important for me. That's why passing was also so important for me. Um, but um, And when you would imagine, if you did, the processes that you would have to go through surgically and medically to be good looking, was there like, it was obviously possible, like just a kind of a shave here and a you know, boost there or different way um, of walking? Well, I was very naive in that sense, but that was because, and that is one of the things that I, I still, um, you know, hold them accountable for because they were kind of affirming this. I was, they were telling me like, oh, you know, if you just take, like, you don't look that masculine. If you just take hormones, you're going to be fine. You're going to be able to pass. Even though if I look at pictures now, I mean, I hit puberty when I was 10. Of course, I'm not going to be able to pass, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. so they were just, it, I mean, I didn't have a beard um, and I was, I had little body hair, but other than that, I had a very heavy brow bone. I was very tall. I had broad shoulders. I had big feet. So I, like, I was never going to pass, you know, um, yeah. at least not without surgeries. Um, yeah. And so, did they bring that up? Like all, what, what, what's basically covered in the Dutch protocol? They're just hormones and a, a kind of a gen, uh, genital thing. Do they cover the plastic surgery and all the other um, things? Um, from what I remember, they, they talk about like the procedures that you can get if you want them, but they really let you make the decision. It's really like, okay, you have the diagnosis and now you can kind of make your own um, pack of what you want. It's like, okay. wow. it's like, yeah, hmm. it's like uh, assembling a happy meal or something. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. And I mean, just to... I, I know that they now have a surgery to help uh, with the demasculinizing shoulders where they break yeah. your collarbone oh, and yeah. squish your body together. <laughs> so yeah, it's a, oh, it's a I, I actually, I did look into that, but then I realized I read like um, reviews and I found like a lot of these like harrowing stories that people aren't able to move and like not able to lift heavy things anymore. So I was like, yeah, never mind. Okay. I'm, I'm not doing this. Okay. So I was, you know, I was deep down this whole thing, but I wasn't that deep down. I wasn't that, but okay. I could still think uh, rationally, at least to some degree, yeah. thankfully. Mm -hmm. um, but I did eventually have um, surgery, uh, facial feminization surgery. And I also wanted... Um, the vaginoplasty but i didn't i was like having preparations for that i had the the um how do you call it electrolysis uh yeah so um and i was actually done with that i had finished the whole electrolysis thing and i was on the waiting list for vaginoplasty and then um the but the waiting list is very long especially because at the time it was during COVID. So it was even longer. Um, and then, you know, we're going to talk about this into more detail later, probably. But uh, when I decided to detransition, I think like one month later, I was being called like, oh, it's your turn. We can schedule your, your surgery. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So that was a very close call. Okay. Um, let, let's let's right, wind back a bit to 
uh, that that period, year and a half, it seemed like, where you were being prepared for hormones and stuff. So mm-hmm. you didn't socially transition, but you were going to? Um, it was a bit weird. I was kind of like, um, people knew that I wanted to transition. Um, and I was trying to kind of go through this um, real life phase where I was presenting as a woman, but I was more dressing as like androgynous, I suppose. I was growing, I had long hair, I was growing up my hair. Um, And I was kind of, you know, dressing like androgynously, like wearing unisex clothes, I suppose. And I was a bit feminine in how I moved and how I talked and all that. Um, And I also tried to, like, was doing the vocal training thing, Mm -hmm. but I still hadn't changed my name and my pronouns and all that and i told them that i was very nervous about that and um also especially with because i was dressing androgynously but not um feminine and they were always asking why like why i why it is such a big issue for me why don't i do that um and i at one point i literally told them uh that when i wear for example a dress or a skirt or when i wear female clothing i when i look in the mirror i don't see a woman i see a man in a dress and that makes me feel uncomfortable so in that case i'd rather just be a guy instead of a man in a dress and especially that Hmm. thinking back about it now like literally saying you'd rather be a guy that how does that not ring bells like alarm bells or but yeah, that's they, a secondary they, issue. That's an unrelated issue. We'll we, we'll get you a therapist to deal with. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's ridiculous. Um, and actually, that was the reason why they eventually let me start hormones, because um, <clears throat> I kept telling them that I I just didn't have the confidence for it, and I it it made me feel uncomfortable seeing a man in a dress. So they gave me hormones. And they told me like, yeah, now you're going to feminize. So hopefully you'll get more confidence so you can like make the switch. Um, Hmm. Which at the time, obviously I was happy with that. But when I think back about it now, it's like, what, what kind of therapist are you? I'm sorry, but (laughs) that's ridiculous. Estrogen is not just a magic pill that turns you into a woman it just kind of like starts to redistribute fat it doesn't i mean i guess it does weaken bones but it doesn't shrink your bones it doesn't shrink your feet it doesn't shrink your brow right exactly so Hmm. yeah how is it for you uh that chemical hormonal change did it what were the psychological effects that it had on you estrogen um yeah it was very bad because um i the way i see it now the life because at this point i was already in university for i was in the first year of of university and my life was i mean my life in high school was awful but in university my life was honestly pretty good i just Mm. didn't really see it and i didn't realize it because all i could think about was getting hormones and getting this transition so that was all I could focus on. And I was like stuck in this kind of tunnel vision and never did they try to get me out of that. Um, so um, 
which is my mother tried to get me out of that, but I wouldn't listen to her because they branded her as a trans folk. So obviously I did as well. They branded her a trans folk. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So they they, yeah. they sequestered you or they roped you off from criticism by calling it transphobia. Um, Pushback. No, it was, Challenge. this is like whenever my mother tried to give um, like a, a counter narrative or like try to get me out of this, this or like try to be critical, I suppose, I would um, talk to them about it uh, because obviously I didn't like it. And they would just say like, oh, yeah, we see it more often that that um, parents, they have issues with uh, their uh, with their children being trans. And they would just say like, oh, yeah, um, it's probably just because she's transphobic. They never told me like maybe her concerns are legit or whatever. So, yeah, you know, it, it with them basically telling me that that's because of she's probably transphobic then obviously i'm gonna think the same you know mm -hmm. um but um so back to the hormones um when i started hormones before i started hormones i wasn't necessarily uh very depressed or very suicidal or anything i was just stuck in this like tunnel vision that i mentioned earlier um, but as soon as I started hormones, the first month I was deteriorating. I was like having breakdowns all the time and I was crying a lot and I was getting suicidal. And I talked to them about it <laughs> and they would just tell me like um, that it was normal and it would go away after a few months. It just, it should stabilize after a couple of months. It's just a um, side effect or something. <laughs> you don't say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Okay. Okay. Did you stabilize? Yeah, well, it got Adjust, better yeah. eventually, okay. but I never got... Um, I mean, I was always depressed after that. Could you describe depression? That's a very big term for... Yeah, uh, of course. So low energy... Um, yeah, I was tired all the time, but I'm thinking it could be because I was depressed. Could also be the estrogen, because um, I was just tired all the time, um, and um, I just wouldn't want to go out uh, of the house. I started isolating again a lot. Uh, whereas after high school, before hormones in university, I actually went out a lot and I had friends and all that. And then I went on hormones and I lost them because I isolated and I never saw them again. Because when I was in public, I was always um, very watching everything. And I was watching how people watched me. And I was watching how it was being perceived. And I was always like, am I passing? Do people perceive me as female? Uh, how is my voice? Like, is it too deep? Do people believe I'm a woman? Like, I was always like hyper-focused on these things. I, I was always like, am I passing? And that was the only thing I could think about when I was in public. And obviously that's exhausting. Yeah, yeah that's a lot. <laughs> so, yeah. exactly. So, um, because of that, I just rather be at home on my own or with friends, but mostly on my own. Um, and I would go back to just basically, I would go back to what it was like in high school. I just went back to uh, playing video games, and my social life was mostly online and all that. Um, 
and even though like the emotions they 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 definitely did stabilize um i you know i wasn't the life that i had before which was relatively good i didn't have it anymore because i was basically like uh I, I was isolated all the time. So, so you you get out of you get out of puberty and your life starts to improve and then you go back into puberty. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. And um so once you get on the hormones you're in stage 3 I guess. There's the diagnosis, the preparatory phase and then the execution or the transition phase. And you uh, first the first yeah. step is the hormones and are you still seeing a gender therapist or a gender doctor and then they add another therapist for these other issues? No, they um as soon as they gave me the hormones, they also referred me to to another therapist. Um, but this therapist, she was, she was very nice, but she wasn't very, um, and I'm, I, she didn't know how to, um, like dig, um, was like she specifically a, like a gender branded therapist or just a no, general, just like a, a regular, okay. like, I guess a standard one for the lack of a better word. But, okay. So um, the gender clinic cuts you loose once they give you the stamp of approval and then the uh, smorgasbord no, no. to select from. No, no, I did continue to see them, but, uh, less frequent. I think before it was every month and after I started hormones, it was every three months even though that's the most turbulent period, I would say, mm. uh, they just like, um, they will, they would see me every three months. And also because, I mean, obviously they, they told me about these risks, like health risks, um, about bone density. Uh, they only measured my, like did a scan of my skeleton to like measure my bone density. They did it only once after that, never. So how do you want to monitor something based on one measurement? That's you can't. That's yeah, pretty stupid. Um, they it also sounds like take, sorry. Go on. Uh, they also didn't take like a scan of how it used to be before. It was when they took the scan. It was already three months into uh, transition. Okay. So yeah, it sounds like they're operating from a position of they've already collected enough data for this trans uh, cohort that they can just follow. They've already established a protocol based on previous data, so they don't need to collect any more data or investigate and keep it close. They're just kind of like, okay, we, we, we put you through this process. Now go, go forth and, and prosper. We, we don't need to know yes. anymore. It doesn't sound like they're operating from a position of curiosity. No, but of it's, knowledge and authority. Exactly, and that's also the the idea that I got from it. It's like, um, and we're, I mean, especially if we come to like my detransition part, this is going to be even. We're going to talk about this a lot, but I really felt like they were just doing like standard, standard work. Like I was just one of the many, you know. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and. Um, so what then? Um, hormones. I was, yeah, so hormones. And then um, I was on hormones for 
I think one year, and then I just uh, no two one and a half year or something like that, because in the beginning everybody or like they told me that um, you know like don't worry you're gonna pass like you're not that masculine like that that nonsense that bullshit. Um, so when I went into the hormones, I was like hyper focused on all the changes that were happening, and I was taking pictures every day, and I was like, you know, what is changing now, and do I look like a woman yet, and like this stuff um and if i have to compare it to anything i would say it was kind of like an addiction i was i guess i was just addicted to like affirmation and 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 hormones and all that stuff because it was really just whereas before i was actually having a life once i started that was all i could think about Mm. and i was always looking for affirmation and i was always looking for um uh, you know, whether I was passing and how people perceived me. And I was always thinking about that and it really kind of determined my life. Um, but I could never get enough of it. Like there would never be a point where I would have been affirmed enough. I always wanted more. Hmm. Um, if that makes sense. Hmm. Um, uh, but then I eventually I realized that I was not passing. And after like one and a half years, hormones have done most of their job. At least things, I mean, some changes might still happen, but most of the things have already happened, I figured. So that's when I decided I wanted FFS. Um, and this therapist that I saw in the Jenner clinic, she told me that she didn't think it was necessary because one, she didn't think I looked that masculine. Um, so she did try to like talk me out of it, but not very good. Uh, she just like mentioned it a few times. Um, but I kept insisting like, no, I want this because I want to look like a woman and I don't feel comfortable like this and blah. And I also said that I, uh, she asked me like, why exactly, what do you want to achieve with it? And I said, uh, I want more confidence. And she told me that confidence is also something you can get without um, surgery. Like you can also have it with therapy. And I uh, just didn't listen. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, no, I want to be referred anyway. And then she just did it. Um, But never did she, like she didn't, she didn't like try to stop me. She was like, okay, well, if you don't want to listen, then fine, go ahead. Um, which I think is kind of, I don't know, like as a therapist, I feel like you should know, Well, like you should give more of, um, how do you say it? More of a counter narrative, I guess you should like, I just, I don't know her. I don't know her situation, but if the entire establishment that she works for and she's embedded in is telling her affirm, 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 then I mean... Yeah, that's true. She possibly in, in uh, some alternate history, if she didn't say yes, she you could complain about her, call her a transphobe, and then she could yeah, get yeah, fired, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, in, in certain states, <laughs> I'm sure that that's already uh, happening or about to happen. Um, yeah. But just I, not to contradict you, but just to, no, no, to I, say the whole establishment's going in that direction. So, Yeah, no, I, I get it. Um, 
I also talked to like people who used to work there before. I they never tweeted me, but when I decided when I was in my detransition, I reached out to some former employees and I wanted to hear why they stopped working there. And they basically said that they said that they were trying to question and then people would complain about them and they would be confronted about it and and um so they decided to quit because yeah. they felt like they couldn't practice their job. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. so it, I know it's happening. <laughs> There's a selection process f toward affirmation. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so you said that you were, you were obsessed with, uh, that's really interesting. You say you, you want confidence <laughs> and she's like, yeah. uh, a different face isn't going to change that. And you're like, no, I yeah. want a different face. So you, you sign up for the facial reassignment of uh, facial feminization, FFS surgery. Yeah. Um, could you just tell us what that is like breaking bones, filling out yeah, lips? So, like what, what's up with that? Yeah. So it, it's, it's just a bunch of plastic surgeries with the aim to make the face more appear more feminine. Mm -hmm. And the procedures that I had were Adam's apple reduction or tracheal shave. Oh, wow. Um, okay. Yeah. <laughs> that and, feel good or not so much? Uh, well, we'll get into that later. <laughs> okay. Okay. And I also had, uh, uh, like a brow bone reduction cause my brow bone was very heavy. Like I said before, and I had rhinoplasty, but the rhinoplasty is where it gets interesting because I initially didn't want it. Hmm. But they kind of, um, when I was referred to this surgeon, which was the surgeon who was attached to the gender clinic, it was the same hospital. Um, she kind of convinced, like, talked me into it. I told her, I don't really, I mean, I had a big nose, I know. I. If I look at old pictures, it was quite gigantic, <laughs> but I never had a problem with it. Like I never really cared that much. And I told her that like, I'm, I don't mind that much, but she told me that it was, um, that she uh, would advise it because she said, um, when my brow bone was like shaven down, my nose would appear bigger in like, um, um, how do you say it? Like in comparison. Yeah. Um, proportionally. Um, yeah. In proportion, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and then I was still kind of reluctant. And then she said, like, oh, yeah, but physically it's also not possible. Like, if we are going to uh, change your brow bone, we have to do something with your nose because it's, like, not it's not possible. She literally said that it's not possible otherwise. And I, w I thought she meant, like, okay, so it's, it's physically not possible otherwise. Yeah, so that's why I... Yeah, so that's why I ended up giving permission. Um, and But I did tell her just to change as little as possible because I don't want a new nose. Um, but then I had the surgery and she changed everything. Okay. Against my permission, against my wishes. Uh, she ignored everything. And, um, but also a lot... Did you Sorry? get to like, did, did she like, she has a book, she comes out and it's like, she's, she says, what face do you want? Or do they have a computer <laughs> program where they can adjust your, like a 3D model of your face that they scan in and they, and they show you so you can actually, in the consultation, you can kind of choose? Or is it just like, we're going to no. do this and this and this, and then whatever happens, happens? No, she was, um, she, more like the latter. Okay. Um, and 
because and and I was asking her like, do you have like Photoshop or like more things or anything so I can know kind of what it's going to look like? And she said like, no, because every face is different and we can't really do like standard work, so we can't really tell you what it's going to end up looking like. And I bought it, which is very stupid. <sighs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> And, I mean, you think um, that they have the 3D technology for decades now to be able to, like, set this up. Yeah. You think that they'd have enough. That's just glaring. I mean, well, I, all the other things aside, like, you just think yeah. that they'd be able to do that. But, but this woman, um, like, the therapist aside, but this woman, this surgeon is absolutely fucking crazy. Um, and we're going to get to that now. <laughs> okay. Uh, because first of all, she talked me into having a surgery that I didn't want, and then she changed everything against my wishes. And then she lied because uh, she said it was not possible otherwise. And then I went because I was unhappy with her having changed everything. And also I couldn't breathe properly. Yeah. Okay. She made it like previously I had a very big nose. It was like I said, it was, it was very big. Um, and she made it very tiny. So it was like going from one extreme to the other. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. And um, it was made like so small that I couldn't, it was blocking my airways. My airways were not big enough, so I couldn't breathe properly. And I had revision for that. And now I can breathe like, okay, again. Okay. Okay. Um, but so I was unhappy with that. So I went to the to another surgeon for a second opinion, and it was the same surgeon who did the revision. And he said, like, yeah, she lied. Uh, if you like, there is no reason why you should do the nose. If you do the brow bone, you can do the like. My wishes were not unrealistic. It was completely possible to to like do the brow and not the nose. Okay. Um, I guess she had I like went, a quota that she had to fulfill, or she needed a certain amount of uh, hours. I think she just likes to cut in people. <laughs> I think she just, yeah. I think she is just her hobby or something. I think she just likes to do it. And because I went back later and I confronted her about that, I was like, yeah, I went for a second opinion. He says this, so why, um, why did you lie, you know, or why did you say this? Um, and she said, she tried to like... Um, talk herself out of it or like try to save her own image, I suppose. Uh, and she came with these very vague stories like, oh yeah, but you know, they are, was it a, um, like a good surgeon or was it a commercial surgeon? Cause she was in like one of the, oh. the, the, the hospitals that get covered by national like insurance, like a public hospital. Yeah. And the one that I had a revision with was in a, in a private clinic. So yeah. she first tried to blame that on, oh yeah, but he's in a private clinic. So he just like wants you to, to go for him and wants your money. Yeah. Um, and I didn't buy that. So I just kept asking. And then she said something like, oh, but she hasn't seen you how you were before. So he, he couldn't know. And, you know, she kept having all these weird excuses but i just kept insisting um and eventually she kind of just admitted it and she was she just literally said like um yeah but it wouldn't have looked good otherwise it wasn't possible it would not have looked good on you and then i got really angry and i said to her are you crazy like this is your opinion it, it's subjective it's your opinion my opinion is very different why do you think it's okay for you to force your 
subjective opinion onto me because it's my face we're talking about, you know? So I got really angry. And I think, yeah. yeah. She was, when I confronted her about it, I think she was also very kind of shocked. And I'm not sure if that was, she might have faked it as like trying to manipulate me or something. Because I, she did, um, I posted a negative review about her online. And um, she, at the end of the, the conversation of like the consult, um, she did offer to do a, a revision, but I told her I don't trust her anymore. So I don't want, I want anything but her. Um, so then she asked like, oh, so what do you want from me? And I said, well, I want reparations. And then she referred me to um, like the another section of the hospital that goes uh, about like complaints and stuff. Um, so we, she said like, okay, so there's nothing you want from me anymore. So let's just end this conversation. Or like her colleague said that her colleague said, let's end this conversation. Mm. Um, and then she told me that she had seen the negative review. And even though it was under a, a like a, a nickname, she realized it was me because she recognized the story. And then she tried to kind of guilt trip me into removing it. Hmm. And uh, yeah, did you? Which was uh, no, it's still up. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, <laughs> hmm. and um, so yeah, after I think that was the last conversation I had with her, and I, I don't intend on coming back ever. I hope I never see her again. Um, do you, do you feel that? Um, and and if this is still in process, you don't have to answer. But do you feel like there is a possibility of reparations or justice or revision via the politics with or the the legal aspect of the medical industry in your country? Are they going to you know, file this as something that's bad and that they don't want, and so they're going to try to curb going forward? Or um, I'm not sure. I hope it is possible to get like reparations, but I, it's it's yeah. still going on, and I'm still working with a lawyer. Yeah. So okay. I'd rather not give like too many details. Yeah. No, no, totally um, understood. But, but back to the hormones. So how how much change did the hormones do for you? Redistribution of body fat, change of libido. Yeah. Um, yeah. Per perhaps the uh, atrophy of certain masculine um, aspects. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I had atrophy in like genital area, mm -hmm. um, which they didn't warn me for. They said I was going to lose like um, libido and they said my testicles were going to get smaller, but not like the actual shaft, um, which it did. Hmm. Um, and, but they, they said that everything was, they said everything is reversible apart from breast growth, breast, breast tissue is permanent, but everything else is reversible. Um, that's what they said. Mm -hmm. And they, uh, so yeah. Okay. So let's go to like the changes that I actually experienced. Um, I gained a lot of weight, but I knew that that was coming <laughs> and I got very, in the beginning, I got very clear skin and, and previously I had issues with acne mm -hmm. and when I went on hormones, my skin was very clear and very soft. So I was very happy with that and body hair started disappearing, which I never liked. So I was happy with that. 
Um, so in the beginning, and I also got breast growth, which I was happy with back then, Not obviously not anymore, but um, so in the first months, I was kind of, even though like the emotions were going crazy, I was happy with the physical results that I saw. But then after I think half a year or something, I gained a lot of weight. <laughs> Hmm. I think I gained like 10, 15 kilos. Okay. Um, Did your appetite change or just the way that you metabolized food? More like the way I metabolized food. Okay. And I lost a lot of muscle because I was naturally kind of, I wasn't like big or anything. I was always very skinny, but I had a lot of muscle definition and I mm -hmm. had broad shoulders. And my shoulders did got like narrower, like hmm. slimmer which is i guess it's just from the muscle um not that much though like they were always kind of broad um but they definitely got a bit like um softer i suppose um and i lost like strength um and also my immune system uh like i got sick a lot of times and mm -hmm. i got uh normally i was always i remember people always being jealous of me because i never got sick they used to joke about that like oh yeah you never get sick and then i went on hormones and the the first winter i had i got sick all the time i think i had um both ears and my throat infected <laughs> hmm. uh twice um and the, especially the last time, it was really horrible because it really just wouldn't go away and it really lasted for a month. Hmm. And um, I was so, the, yeah, but and um, but I still hadn't made a connection that it was because of hormones. And now hmm. looking back, I think, yeah, it's super obvious. But uh, hormones probably stress too. Probably if you're under stress, yeah. like you were saying. Uh, that yeah, your probably. body's always full of cortisone uh, or cortisol or whatever that stress hormone is if you're always yeah. um, and then um, I think that was it because I changed medication after two years I've been on hormones in total for three and a half years okay um, and so three and a half years of uh, the estrogen or whatever it is that's estrogen and then also androgen suppressant or the testosterone suppressant. So it's like yeah. a double thing. Okay. So first I was on cyprotron acetate. I think that's the English name. I'm not entirely sure. Um, and they, when they gave it to me, they um, didn't warn me. The only thing they warned me about was like um, bone density and then after I was on it for two years, they called me and they said like, yeah, we're going to change your prescription because if you are on this medication for too long, there's a risk that you develop brain tumors. And I was like, okay, <laughs> why didn't you tell me this immediately? You know? Um, and then they gave me this stuff, which is called um, Cyproterone, which is more of like a brand name but it's i think the, the medication it is like a tri triptolerin tritolerin i'm not sure how it's pronounced in english but it's like an anti-androgen it's um mm -hmm. and it's also what they use for puberty blockers in in kids and teenagers okay uh it's it's the same stuff um and when they gave that to me they said I think they just said that there was no difference. It was it was supposed to be the same. The only difference is that it doesn't have a risk of, of developing brain tumors. Um, 
and it's it and it is injected it's not pills that you have to to take every day it's injection every month okay and uh so your family doctor has to do it because you can't inject yourself okay um but they didn't warn me for like any permanent things they say like everything was reversible like they did with the previous stuff okay uh, and, and they still was say that true that. is that true no 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 <laughs> so okay. um when i was on cyproterone acetate uh i didn't have any like genital atrophy but when i was on this stuff i i started getting quite a lot and um, without getting too detailed did that ache or was it sharp pains just like from a sensation point of view what did the atrophy feel like um cramps weirdness nothing no i it, i guess it didn't really feel much it just um it just got smaller i just noticed it started getting smaller and also like um i mean when i was aroused like getting it up was already hard from like uh or like already difficult from like the other stuff that i was taking mm -hmm. so that didn't happen that often anymore mm. um but i also had basically no chemically though. chemically castrated then yeah i mean um i'm not sure about cyproton acetate but um decapeptil or triptole whatever the other stuff yeah. um that's what it is developed for it's developed to treat uh prostate cancer yeah. and also to chemically castrate um sex offenders yeah so yeah i was basically chemically castrated so i also had no libido so it's not like i really cared about that at that point yeah because yeah. also i was planning on having vaginoplasty anyway so yeah yeah <laughs> and um okay yeah and then um where did you what, what about your fashion did you eventually go from androgynous to feminine in your presentation yeah 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 eventually i did and eventually i was after i had like uh, facial feminization surgery i was sort of i wouldn't say it was entirely passable but people didn't when they looked at me um they thought i was a woman and then as soon as like i would they would see me like hang out with me i guess like talk to me and they i feel like they eventually would kind of figure out but in in first glance they wouldn't think i was trans hmm. um hmm. i think i had that idea um did you did your obsession over passing decrease eventually no 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 <laughs> that's also why that's not the reason why I decided to detransition, but that was kind of one of the main reasons. And again, there were multiple mm -hmm. why I kind of started to realize this was not what I should have done because I felt like, yeah, I'm just basically kind of um, addicted in a way. Like, you know, people that are addicted to like plastic surgeries, I felt like I was the same. Because I was like, you know, I have now had my like facial feminization because that was where most of my um, dissatisfaction was was with. And then um, that was gone. And then it was my shoulders. And then it was that I, my boobs were small or that my hips were narrow or, you know, so I, I kind of started to realize, yeah, you know, this is it's it didn't help. It just moved it to another place, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and that's when I kind of did start to realize but then i had already had the surgery obviously like um yeah if i hadn't done this my life would be just way easier 
And I, I still didn't want to admit to myself that I had regrets, but I think at that point I already had regrets, but I didn't want to admit it to myself. So I still said like, oh no, this was necessary or like that bullshit. Um, but I, I, deep down I knew <laughs> it was not the right, it hadn't been the right decision. Mm. Um, and then it took to go from there to eventually deciding to detransition, it didn't happen overnight. Obviously, it was like a very slow process. Uh, coming to new realizations. Um, Around what? But, well, about um, first of all, my transition and like what life as trans is like. I was, I mean, it was quite horrible, honestly. Um, and also having this idea, because I, when I went into it, I, I was being told by these therapists, like, oh, don't worry, you're going to pass. And then I went into it and I realized, yeah, I'm, you know, especially after I had the facial surgery, I was like, yeah, this this is it, you know. I mean, I, I still haven't had, like, vaginoplasty, but when I walk over street, that's not the thing people, you know, look at the first. So, mm. so in that regard, that wasn't going to do much. Um, mm. So it was kind of disappointing um and on the other hand i also got more insights in where my actual dysphoria came from or why i was so dissatisfied with my body and it had a lot to do with just feeling <clears throat> feeling like i was always the odd one out and like i was weird and that there was something wrong with me and feeling like no one liked me and i started to realize that you know that's just I guess puberty or like not puberty, but given the things that I went through, like the divorce and the bullying, it wasn't that weird, but it wasn't true. Like these ideas that I had of myself, they weren't true. And I started to realize that. And I just kind of started to think, yeah, if I had known this at that time, I probably wouldn't have done it because, and I'm still at this point, if you ask me now, I don't know if I die and I have the, the, the choice to be reincarnated and I have the choice if I want to be a girl or a boy. I don't know. I Maybe I would have chosen a girl. So I'm, so I'm not saying that like my dysphoria is completely gone, but I don't have any issues with being a guy anymore. It's like I can live with that. I don't hate it. Mm. I kind of, there are some things that I like about it. So... And I feel like if I had just gone through puberty, not with this medicalization, I was going to end up like this anyway. I would have just grown out of my discomfort and I was, you know, mm. still probably would have felt like being a woman would be, I would have liked more, but the only reason for that is just stupid, like sexist stereotypes, you know, mm. but not it's not that I hate being a guy or, you know, I am, I am a guy. That's how I'm born. So I just have to accept that. And I can. And if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, what else are we supposed to do other than accept ourselves somehow? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But you know, the whole topic of self-acceptance, they never mentioned that. They, um, Oh, Oh my God. Yeah. So, hmm. When I decided to detransition, I told them, obviously, uh, and, uh, well, things were not going well with me because I was like, what have I done? <laughs> it was, like, very unstable. It was a very hard period. Mm -hmm. 
um, but they did offer help still and they were kind of shocked about it as well because they didn't see it coming hmm. um, and they I guess they felt very guilty because they felt like this is partially like they felt bad that they had allowed this to happen um, so I did continue to see them a couple of times and I remember you know, the more I got into my detransition, the more confident I got about, the more I started thinking about the whole process I went through and the more I started thinking about why didn't you, like, why didn't they, you know, try to, to have me accept my body? Why didn't they try to stimulate me to accept myself? And, you know, I felt like I was treated like I was an adult, um, a, like an, a mentally sane adult when I was neither. <laughs> I was not mentally sane and I wasn't an adult. Yeah. Um, so, and I started reading all these articles about which they had published from their research institution. Um, and I was finding all these things that just don't add up. Um, like they had so many studies and they just had so many flaws in them and so many contradictions and Especially there was this one article I came across from, I think it was 2003, 2004, some, some, something like that, where they, that was very experimental, like um, putting kids and teenagers on medication and like transitioning uh, teenagers and children was still very, well, it's still experimental, but at the, that time, it was still like they didn't. They were still it treating it like an experiment, whereas at some point they stopped. <laughs> I guess. It, yeah. like. <laughs> it was like um, barely done before. Um, and they were, there was this article that I found where they were kind of trying to ethically defend uh, treating kids with gender dysphoria, but, and they literally said that. Um, there are multiple studies that, uh, especially boys with gender dysphoria or boys wishing to be girls, once they reach adulthood, like 80% or something turns out to be homosexual. And one very big determining factor was um, having, you know, feeling like you're the odd one out and feeling like uh, you are weird and having problems establishing relationship with peers. And when I read that, I was, I just, it was very painful because it felt like I was a textbook example, like this was me, you know? Mm. And I just got so angry because I felt like if this, if I was, you know, if this was written back in 2004 and I was a literal textbook example and it didn't get me out, how many others are there, you know? How did they miss this when it's literally in the literature? <laughs> and um, so I, you know, I went back with all these questions from this, this literature and I confronted them about it um, and they just gave me all these weird answers like, um, well, first of all, they didn't say, you know, they didn't... Um, tell me directly that it was my own fault but, but that was basically what what it came down to they were not taking any like accountability for it they were just whenever i i was asking them something like why didn't you do this or you know looking back at this this was such a big red flag why didn't you question this they would they, like immediately jump into the defense and i remember one time um i was um uh, 
I was talking about the 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 thing that I was really looking for an answer as to what was wrong with me back when I was 16. And first it was bipolar, and then it was uh, autism, and then it was uh, a borderline or whatever. And then it was gender dysphoria. And, you know, that must be, when I think about it now, it, it's such a red flag, but they didn't question that at all. And I asked them why they didn't. And then they literally said like yeah but we hear that more often and there is much more people who say that so if we should question it with you then we should also question it with all these other people and then i told them like yeah maybe you should you know <laughs> um so oh it was so it was so frustrating and they just did not listen to me at all and they were so i it felt like talking to a wall hmm. it was so frustrating hmm. I was like, how can you not see this? <laughs> well, okay, so it, I understand that from a human level, why they wouldn't want to, but from a scientific level, I don't see why they wouldn't want to include this in the experiment. Like, this is more data. We need, we need your story. Exactly. We need you to tell us everything. We're going to document mm -hmm. the whole thing. Well, that's what they said. Uh, that's why I continued to talk to them, even though okay. I kind of had lost faith in them. Yeah. I was like, yeah, well, you kind of, I'm sorry, but you you did a very awful job. Um, but they still said that they wanted to talk to me because I, I they could learn so much from my, from my case study. Mm -hmm. And when they said that, I was kind of annoyed, but I just decided to swallow it and was like, okay, well, it's for the, the greater good, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> so I continued to see them. <laughs> okay. Um, but whenever I was there, it just felt like what I just said, like talking to a wall, but also like I had to explain, like I had to um, explain myself. Um, it was like, you know, I had all these questions and uh, they would just not take any accountability for anything. It was like I had, the, it was more a debate than actual therapy hmm. so i decided to stop uh, seeing them eventually because i didn't feel like this was going anywhere mm -hmm. so um even though they say that they can learn so much from detransitioners i do not feel like they they're very welcoming if anything <laughs> if, you, if you know uh, what i mean yeah well I, I, so many reasons why possibly but who knows exactly why yeah <laughs> and um so how did you deal psychologically with detransition and regret and what is that process about for you how how's it been for you um the last couple of months i suppose it's better but it's still very obviously it's still painful um also because i kind of don't know what i'm what they can expect still in terms of like physical health <clears throat> because they say everything is reversible, but it's not. Um, I keep hearing that from other people. I've noticed it myself so far. Um, and they, there is really no one that can tell me anything, really. So it's just like, yeah, mm. you just have to detransition and you have to see what happens, I suppose. Mm. Um, and detransition um, for you is basically just going off of uh, hormones? On like a physical level, yeah, but it, it's also like 
psychologically it feels like leaving cold and you've mm. probably heard that from a lot of other people <laughs> well because it, expound on that then how does that feel like leaving a cult for you it just feels so unrealistic it feels like how have i how could i have done this how could i have thought this about myself and how can i have been how could i have believed this ridiculous idea that i could change gender you know hmm. or like sex that i could change my that i that it was worth risking so much of my health for and it it just felt so weird hmm. and sometimes i also i remember especially in the beginning i kind of i slept very bad and sometimes i would just wake up in the middle of the night and i was either kind of panicking like what the hell did i do like what what the fuck happened or i would feel like and I'm not sure how to explain this, but kind of um, like it didn't happen. Like I was like, oh, this was all a bad dream. I just woke up and my life is back to normal, you know. It obviously it wasn't, but that's what I would kind of feel like. And then I would come obviously like I knew that that wasn't true, but I felt like that was what was going on. And it was very weird. It's, I'm not sure how to explain it exactly. <laughs> so. Disorienting in the very least. Yeah. yeah, yeah, very much. And especially mm -hmm. when I would look into the mirror, because obviously I had the surgery on my face. So I was, it, it, I, yeah, I just, um, mm -hmm. it felt weird because I didn't recognize myself anymore. Yeah. And now, I mean, honestly, I still, if I look at pictures before and now, it still feels like it's a different person, which is painful in itself. But mm -hmm. um, I guess I got used to it more now. So it feels like, yeah, I have a different face, but it's, I got used to associating that with me, I suppose. Mm. But mm. it felt like, like I had been somewhere else and I had woken up and I had come back. And this past few years, there was someone else that had lived in my body. I don't know how to explain it. Even like though that Gulliver's other person travels was kind of thing. Or like mm -hmm. a Jason Bourne, like like you were possessed, or you were a secret agent, or you you were flipped off or turned into somebody else, and now you're back. Yeah, I guess <laughs> it felt very weird. Mm -hmm. I don't know; it's hard to explain. And socially, did you um, have to reverse your name and do all this legal stuff and come out again as D-trans and have everybody change how they called you and your pronouns and stuff like that? Yeah. Um, now I was kind of lucky that I had finished my, um, I was going to another university in another city. So I was lucky with that because I, I did already halfway the last year of my previous university. I did know already that I was having regret, mm -hmm. um, and I wanted to detransition, but I decided, okay, the coming half year, I'm just gonna keep the status quo. And then after I move. I'm just going to change and I'm going to start new because it's a new city, new university. I know no one there. So, you know, <laughs> mm. so that's when I did it. And I was lucky with that. So people in my current university just know me as me um, and as a guy. So, um, so in that regard, uh, things weren't necessarily difficult, but it is hard going back to 
obviously friends or like people that I used to know before whenever I meet them mm-hmm. I feel very ashamed and I feel mm-hmm. kind of embarrassed <laughs> a lot that will pass yeah I hope so it will. I mean it's already better than it was a year ago definitely yeah um, it's amazing how much can happen in one year um, is your body chilling out being back and bathing in that wonderful testosterone. <laughs> um, I noticed that that like my testosterone levels are back up, um, but they never monitored that. They, mm. um, I because I really? did um, no, I did um, talk to like the, the endocrinologist about it, saying I want to detransition. Um, because I did feel like, yeah, I, I don't think just quitting on my own, like stopping cold turkey is a good idea. So I did consult them. Um, but they told me I could just quit cold turkey. And they they were like, they were doing like it wasn't that big of a deal. Mm-hmm. They were like, oh, yeah, it's just all reversible. You can just quit when you want. It's no big deal. And I had all these questions. And they weren't really <clears throat> able to give me any answer on any of that they were just like yeah no it should be reversible don't worry hmm. and then i asked them like how do you know like do you have any studies on that and they literally said like mm, in theory in theory it should go back which essentially means that you know nothing but um yeah so i i had one one um consult with them and that's it and they never uh asked hmm if they can monitor it or if for like a follow-up for like, yeah. how is it like what happens when you go back or anything. And I eventually, after a few months, I did get my blood tested, but that was because I went to my family doctor who is not attached to the Jenner clinic. And I, I went, I asked them, um, uh, on request. Like I specifically asked for that because I, I thought it would be a good idea. And mm-hmm. from that, I know that my levels are back to healthy ranges. I'm not sure if they're back to what they used to be before, because again, they didn't take any, any tests from what it used to be before. And before I started medication. Yeah. Um, but it's back in like, what is a healthy range for a, um, a guy. So <laughs> I'm happy with that. Mm-hmm. Um, what about your Adam's apple? You, you said something about that, the shaving surgery. I am. So, um, currently my Adam's apple, yeah, I shouldn't have had the surgery, but it's not that big of a deal because it's not the feature that really determines your face anyway. But, um, the thing that bothered me at that point was, uh, she also lied about that, the surgeon, because, I was asking her, is there a chance that it's going to influence your voice? Because obviously I had done voice, like naturally I have quite a deep voice of myself. So that was never going to pass as female. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, So I had done this voice training, which had took me a long time and a lot of effort. So I was very happy that I I managed to get something that sounded like sort of feminine. Hmm. So I, I asked her if there any chance that it's going to like influence my voice or that that something is going to happen to my vocal cords is there a, a risk for that and she said that i didn't have to worry about any of that like that's impossible that can't happen uh, and then i had the surgery and then it happened what happened 
my vocal cords were um i'm not sure exactly what happened but i wasn't able to have my voice like the 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 voice that i had achieved with uh, vocal training oh. anymore Wait, it, like so, scar tissue it, it re-thickened in a different way the cartilage i, I guess you don't so. know but no i think it has to do with scar tissue but um and so my again was, so she didn't take x-rays before and after they didn't no. do any research about the outcomes of this no <laughs> okay um, but she was she completely did. confident, and she was completely wrong. Yeah. And there was no follow-up. No. Okay. Um, they did offer me, um, because they did, she referred me to another doctor who, like, put a camera into my nose, into my throat, and then they looked at my vocal cords, and they saw it was kind of... Um, this. I'm not sure what the right word is, but it was uh, a bit disrupted like the shape was weird mm-hmm. um and they didn't close properly so that's why i couldn't reach like higher notes anymore so mm-hmm. that's why my voice was lower which obviously at the time i didn't like at all because i had done so much effort for vocal training um hmm. but um so when they saw that they they said that it had probably something to do with scar tissue and they said I could have a revision and they could fix it. And obviously that woman would, I mean, the woman, like the, the surgeon uh, who did the surgery, the first one, she offered that. But obviously I was very um, careful and I didn't trust her anymore. <laughs> so I, I didn't do that. Uh, and I'm honestly not sure if I want to do that because I mean, I can't sing anymore, but it's not mm. like singing with a, a, a primary need in life so <laughs> it's nice to do but it, it, does yeah. your voice ache do you have uh, pain there or is it negligible no no okay it's just i my voice is um my vocal range like the tone range is is lower i cannot reach higher notes anymore mm-hmm. um but it's not a disaster i mean i don't like it but i don't think it's worth having another surgery for yeah. So I'm just going to live with it. I don't want other surgeries anymore. <sighs> but yeah, she... she um, oh yeah. And then when that happened, in like the follow-up, one of the follow-ups, I asked her about it uh, because obviously I noticed my voice is a lot lower and, and I couldn't do the, the, the higher voice anymore. Uh, and then she, I asked her about, like, how did that happen? And she said, like, oh, yeah, some people have that. And then I also was shocked because I thought, like, I asked this prior to surgery and you said it wasn't possible. And now you're telling me sometimes it happens. What, what is wrong with you? <laughs> there are a lot of names. That come yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. But exactly so i feel like she just lied about things because like i said earlier she just wanted i think she just saw me as like an experiment she didn't see me as a patient she just saw me as like a um yeah a project she could experiment with yeah yeah i mean yeah not even like and and experiments not even the right word because she's not approaching it like you should with an experiment (laughs) no just the play thing yeah, exactly, like an object. So are you, 
I guess without saying too much, you are thinking of doing something legally or are you um, thinking of, of trying to pivot your story into better care in this area for other people in your country? Um, or are you aware yeah. of that? Cause I, I, I'm aware of things happening, but they're still kind of under, you know, the under lock and key right now. So you, you don't have to answer that. Um, but I'm just wondering where do you go now? Um, that's a good question. <laughs> I hope that I'm just able to eventually leave all of this behind and just live my life, I suppose. Um, and I think I'm going, I'm on the right track for that. Um, hmm. But I do feel like I want to see changes happening because I don't, I feel like, you know, this happened to me and this shouldn't happen to other people. And even, you know, I think in my case, there is two stories. There is one, there's the detransition story and just the, the, the fact that they could have prevented my whole transition to begin with and they didn't, even though it was so obvious. Um, and on the other hand, the surgery and like the, the actual care that I did receive was just shit because they did things to me that I didn't want and they kind of pressured me to do things that I didn't want. So, so I think hmm. there are these two things I would like to see changed. I would see the actual care being better, but I also would like to see more measures being taken for screening, screening and like for them to actually be critical because I, I, hmm. I don't think they're critical at all. Um, and honestly, you know, like I said before, I went back with this conversation uh, with these therapists and I, I confronted them. Like I tried to have a discussion about like the articles and, and how that related to my case in mm. particular. Um, and it was like talking to a wall <laughs> because they, they just, and I had the idea that they don't know how to be critical. It's like, and I, I find it so kind of mind blowing well, how, Hmm? how sorry go on oh yeah I'd, like i find it so mind-blowing how people um in these positions because these are not stupid people like they have a master's degree a lot of them have phds they have like they're high educated so you would think they they know what they're doing but they have no idea what they're doing and i think <laughs> that's what makes it so painful because my mother sent me there thinking that they knew what they were going to do and yeah. like they knew what they were doing. And, and then it ends up being more like a trap. Yeah. Uh, because, and I also, I tried to explain them a lot of things, how I felt and what they did, what, what their actions did to me, like diagnosing me so quickly. Um, I feel like if they hadn't diagnosed me so quickly and they had, maybe been more um, questioning, more exploring, I guess, I wouldn't have been so, <clears throat> like, I wouldn't have, um, how do you say that? Like, I wouldn't have attached to this as, as much as I had. I probably would have been more open for other things as well, but because they, they diagnosed me 
and they it felt like they put like a stamp on my forehead hmm. it was like they labeled me hmm. um so and also because i was very um hmm. looking for an answer because i was very depressed and i wanted like an answer to happen and then they said this so i was like okay well then this must be it but if they had been, because I was never, I mean, in the beginning when I was 16, I was, I was like this teenager that was really um, latching onto this. And I was like, this was something that people couldn't criticize about me. But as I got older, I got more open to things and I got more, you know, um, open for nuance, I suppose. Yeah, more comfortable but in it, your own skin too, it sounds like. Yeah, exactly. So I feel like if they had questioned me then or if they hadn't been so, if they had been more open that also for them this is difficult to determine and this is um, that they don't always know how to make the right diagnosis, then I it, it might have been prevented. But it felt like it was so, um, like, I'm not sure what the right word is in English. Did, um, you can use like, your language. Definitive, <laughs> as in they they had the last word like they said this so this must be it mm -hmm. like they made the final judgment i suppose yeah um they have the authority exactly so it felt like okay well they are the experts and they say that this is it so this must be it yeah and there's um, no oversight they are uh, operating on their own they're just yeah. entrusted um doesn't yeah, seem like there's, uh, I mean, there are things happening now, like with the case, CAS review in, in Britain, where things are kind of getting yeah, yeah, under exactly. the loop. It seems like Amsterdam hasn't yet achieved a place where the gender care is, is looked under a microscope. I suppose, but I feel like in, I mean, in, in like English media, they are more like Anglo media, like, America, the UK, Canada, they're more, these narratives are, are getting more attention, but in Dutch media, it's still very silent and it's more, most of it is still very, you know, the, 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 the general narrative, like people transition and they're happy. And if you don't affirm your child, you, they're going to commit suicide and all that, that stuff. Mm. And it's so frustrating to see. Um, and also like, as far as I know, I know one other I know a couple of other detransitioners, but they're not on um, social media or anything. For as far as I know, I, together with someone else, I'm the only one who are like public about it, even yeah. though I'm using a pseudonym. But yeah, <laughs> so, for the time being, I, I exactly. think I know who who you are speaking about, and I hope to uh, speak with them. I know there's somebody else, um, yeah, who might have a pretty big impact in your neck of the woods. Um, but yeah, I think uh, right I now that's so. still under, under wraps. So mm -hmm. change is going to happen, but uh, you, you still have to kind of wear the mark of that, the stamp that they put on you. You're still stamped. Right? Exactly. Yeah. And I was trying to explain that to them, that if they make the diagnosis so quickly, it feels like I there is little that I can, it feels like so confirming to me. And it takes a lot for me to 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 deviate from that, to like step mm. away from that, especially at such a young age. And then they told me like, oh, but that's not how that's not how we intended it. So you should not have seen it like that. 
Hmm. Again, as if it's my fault, as if I did something wrong for believing them, hmm. even though I was 16 <laughs> or 17 at that time. So, and... How's your mom? She's very angry, obviously. Because <laughs> <laughs> she feels like um, she tried to warn them and they didn't listen, and then in the end she was right. So, hmm. yeah. So we met through, I don't know if you want to publish this or publicize this, but um, I'm just wondering if there's any uh, young men uh, stumble across this um, or like I'm in the same position and I, I, nobody understands where I'm at. Are there resources that you can point them to or other accounts? About, about, about detransitioning? Yeah, about detransitioning, uh, just camaraderie uh just brotherhood yeah. on this side of that um, stamp yeah so um there are like detransition groups there is the reddit uh, uh, page and they also have like a discord server and there's also a discord server for male detransitioners um but that's all and also there's genspec and there's stella o'malley mm. um but all of them are based in other countries. But in the Netherlands, there really is no place you can go to as a detransitioner. And mm. I think that's really mm. something that I would like to see having, you know, mm. to change. Mm -hmm. um, because, um, you know, the Jenner Clinic in Amsterdam, especially, they, they try to portray as if they want dialogue with detransitioners, but then, you know, obviously, given how they've treated me i don't feel i didn't feel welcome there i didn't feel like they were listening so mm -hmm. they try to make it seem like they are listening but they, they don't then you come there and they just argue with you hmm. well that they, they, they have a lot to protect but yeah reputations, I know. I their think, business the whole thing exactly and i that's why i think they're so protective of it but you know what is the the um, there was this article about it recently that was published. I'm not sure what the, the name is. Um, it was from, uh, it was published this year. Um, let me see if I can find the name. Um, it, oh yeah, Michael Biggs, I think wrote it. Um, and I thought, thought it was very insightful because it's basically about the history of um, the Dutch protocol and why it was published, uh, why it was developed, and, and how it was, you know, copied in other countries. Mm -hmm. And I actually read it earlier today. And uh, so basically the, 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 the publication that first in which the Dutch protocol was introduced, it was funded by a pharmaceutical company. Mm. And I think you can guess what kind of pharmaceutics they make. Uh, opioids? <laughs> they make um, the puberty blockers. So, and uh, there you go. I'll just say I will link that in the description. So send me that link if people want to learn more about the okay. Dutch protocol and its yes, origins, and perhaps uh, what conflict of interest or biased reasoning um, or something like that. Motivated reasoning, yeah. perhaps. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, just like how it came to be, and and also how they try to like um, defend it 
from an ethical point of view, which I also found very interesting because the only reason that they came up with was um, because older trans people, like transsexuals, as they called it back then still, were uh, complaining about like passability and they figured that if you trans people earlier in life, they're going to have a better chance at passing. Mm -hmm. So the whole reason why they started doing this is purely aesthetic. It's purely about like external, the way you look. And apparently they think it's worth it's it's worth risking your health for because they also acknowledge it's it's very weird because on mm. one hand they they say everything is reversible about puberty blockers. Now obviously I don't believe that, but and on the other hand they acknowledge that it has some health issues or that it they're like some um possible health risks that there's not a lot of information about. Like for example the what effect it has on brain development. Uh, they they acknowledge that there's not much known about that. And also in um, like boys who transition to girls, if they don't go through puberty, their penis doesn't develop, yeah. um, it doesn't mature. So it's actually not usable for vaginoplasty. Mm -hmm. And they need to get tissue from somewhere else and they use it from like the bowels, mm -hmm. from the guts which is very dangerous and very complex. And some have actually died from that surgery. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I... Vanity. Exactly. It's, it's insane. <laughs> it's madness. Well, I mean, that's why these stories are so important because um, for exactly. a number of different reasons, um, I don't know if they'll have any effect over the institutions, but eventually the institutions can't keep this up forever. And um, getting your voice out, uh, especially as a male, um, I think it's important to uh, give more courage for other men uh, to, to hear this. Yeah, exactly. And uh, to know that they're not alone and that it is possible to, you know, detransition or, or um, think through these things in a other than affirmative way. Yeah, exactly. Um, I'm just looking because I made some um, notes about stuff that I wanted to talk about. I'm just seeing it, looking if I didn't forget anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I think we covered quite a bit. It's uh, over two yeah, hours now, so. <laughs> oh, um, really? Yeah. Time flies okay. when you're talking to Benj. Um, yeah. But no, I, I think suppose. it was very thorough. Um but it, if you yeah. did have something else. Um, well, oh yeah, I feel like they do not take into account like the psychosocial functioning of patients because um, when they do these studies about regret, they, I feel like they always listen to whether the patient says they have regret or not, but within, and I, I, experienced this myself even when i you know regret is this very complex thing on its own because there is a ton like i think naturally as human beings we don't we are inclined to to avoid it we don't want to admit it either for ourselves or for other people or because it's like we're in a position where we cannot deal with it at the moment. So we just ignore it or we just try to convince ourselves we don't regret it. And I feel like I had gone through that period for a while until eventually I couldn't go around it, it anymore. But 
so there's that, uh, especially for example, if you have already had like um, vaginoplasty or if you're a, a, a female to male, had your ovaries and uterus removed or had like um, phalloplasty, it's very hard to, to accept that that was a mistake. So I think naturally you kind of would rather lie to yourself to like cope in order to cope with it better as to not uh, admit that you made a mistake, I suppose. So there's that. And then on the other hand, there's this fear culture among trans people that if you if you open up about regret towards health, towards like psychologists, they're going to take away the medication from you. Mm-hmm. So they won't be honest about it. Mm-hmm. Because we already know that, especially among teenagers, there is this phenomenon that, that they will just lie to the therapists in order to get what they want, which is medication. So they will just lie about having dysphoria and, and stuff like that. So they will just look whether at whether the patient says they regret it or not, but they don't look at psychosocial functioning. And they na- did that to me. They didn't do that to me either, because if they did, they would see that I, you know, before hormones, I was living kind of okay. Uh, I just had this tunnel vision, but after hormones, I was isolated and I didn't have friends anymore. And my social life was online. And I basically mm. was at the computer all the time. I was like a keyboard warrior. Mm. <laughs> so, which is a miserable life, to be honest. So, so yeah. Different strokes for different key folks, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, um,. Hmm. And I had this whole stuff about like the history of, of why this happened, the way it happened. But I think that's going to be for way too long, given we are already at two hours. Yeah, no, no I, I, this is, uh, no, I, I think this is sufficient for the time being. Um, All right. So uh, do you want people to contact you on Twitter? Or should I leave that off? Because you, you are on Twitter. Yeah. That's where I found you. If, if people want to connect with you, it's Tiresias. I'll link it down in the description. Yes, sure. Spell it. It's difficult. It's a very funky spelling. <laughs> yeah, no, people, uh, if they want to reach out, they sure can. Um, I'm always open to uh, messages. Hmm. Uh, are you planning on doing any writing or guest spots or an essay? Put it here or there or somewhere else or i'm i was thinking about it but at the moment i'm quite quite busy with yeah. my thesis and work oh, so um go. yeah so <laughs> I, I i'm mostly busy with that at the moment but i think in like the more distant future i probably will mm-hmm. um so yeah well thank but, you for yes. joining Thanks and for sharing me. yeah absolutely No problem. Thanks for having me.